privilege to be before you today. Y'all don't know me, I'm Trip, some little dude that goes to Epiphany Fellowship, and I'm grateful for this opportunity to be before you. And I just tell you what I went through to get here today. Yesterday I had a show in Detroit. What was I thinking? Don't ask me. So then I get three hours of sleep, me and DJ official, get up at four in the morning to get on a plane. It's snowing, so I barely make it. I'm tired. I might die during the sermon. <laughs> Nevertheless, I was really praying the Lord would give me the opportunity to stand before you. I really wanted to come and serve y'all today, so I'm really grateful the Lord gave me that opportunity. So we want to chop the word up. Um, let's pray for his help. Father, we are so, so, so grateful for your word. Your word guides us. Your word teaches us. Your word has given us life. and We're really grateful for it, Father. We thank you for a community of believers gathered around your word, gathered around the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and I pray, Father, that you be glorified in our time. Please, Father, give me the grace to preach your word accurately. Don't let me say anything that you didn't say. Um, and I pray your spirit would work in the hearts um, of those out here tonight, Lord, today. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You have the privilege um, today um, of addressing you from the scriptures. Pastor Mace asked me to because, you know, he, he having kids and stuff. And um, I'm really excited, man, about what the Lord is doing among us with all these kids popping up, right? Everybody having babies and stuff. Praise the Lord for that. Excited about that. And I'm excited to see all of these kids come up together, a part of this community. It's going to be crazy, right? And I'm rocked by the Lord's providence the way he takes care of his creation, because when babies are born, right, he provides for them to be nourished, right, by their mother. He provides so many things, and the thing that really racks me the most is that he put within them the ability to watch their parents and imitate them and learn stuff. Isn't that crazy? That blows me away, that a baby can watch their parents and listen to them, hear them talk, talking about some guy, guy, goo, daddy, what you doing? Like, he can... Just gradually figure out how to shape his mouth to say certain words. But God has put that within them, the ability to do that. But even though he's given an ability to do that, it still takes them being in close proximity with their parents and learning and guidance. And it takes those things. It takes them watching them and all of that, right? Same with walking and same with all that stuff. Blows my mind. We're in sort of a similar situation. But those of us who have trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, He's given us a new heart, this heart of flesh. We now are capable of certain things we weren't capable of before. We're no longer slaves to our sin, and we can glorify the Lord. But in the same way, it still takes us being in close proximity to somebody who's mastered this thing in order for us to do it properly. Some of these commands in the Bible, well, all of the commands in the Bible are not natural to us. And we won't just stumble upon them. Like a baby won't just start talking if you leave him off in the jungle somewhere. He ain't just going to randomly start talking, right? It takes him being nurtured properly as well. Us as believers, one of the things that the Bible commands of us is humility. Humility is so opposite our nature. So even though the Lord has given us the ability to grow in humility, I'm there on accident. I'm AMC, baby. 
even though the Lord has given us that ability to grow in humility, we still, we still have to be in close proximity with somebody who's mastered it to learn it. Now, have our peers mastered it? I don't know about that. Have the members in this church mastered it? Have our pastors mastered it? Have I mastered it? No, that ain't true. The only person that we can watch who's mastered it perfectly is the Lord Jesus Christ. Today we're going to talk about learning humility from Jesus. Learning humility from Jesus. Can you turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, please? Philippians chapter 2. How many of you have read the book of Philippians before? I see some happy hands on this side. We love the Bible around here. Philippians, the book of Philippians is an incredible book. Just by way of background, I just want to talk about it a little bit. Paul starts out the book right into this church, the Philippian church, and he talks about some of his, his struggles. He talks about his imprisonment. He talks about it being good for the gospel. And he talks about wanting the gospel to be advanced. He talks about to live as Christ and to die as gain. He talks about laying his life down. The book of Philippians is it's all about being selfless. And the major themes are rejoicing and, and unity and joy and suffering. These are some of the major themes. And in chapter 2, Paul starts to talk about counting others more significant than yourself. Talks about humility. Chapter 2, read with me from verse 1. Well, just a little bit more background. Also, you have to remember that in the Philippian church, some people had started to sneak in with some stuff that wasn't proper, causing division, right? Some people started, these Judaizers we see randomly throughout the scripture started creeping in on some law of righteousness. You had random people creeping in with certain stuff. So Paul wants to exhort them to be unified. Verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. In verse 5, we're going to be looking at verse 5 through 11. Verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Paul points to Jesus as the model for this humility. So today we want to look, because we want to imitate and mimic the one who's mastered it, we want to take this chance to look at the life of Jesus, um, to look at how Paul has described Jesus as a means of imitating him. Is that cool? Our first point that we see in verse 5 is that Jesus is our model for humility. Jesus is our model for humility. After talking about unity a little bit and telling them not to, not to just be worried about your own interests, but the interests of others, he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He says, have this mind among yourselves. So this mind, whatever he's about to talk about, 
this mind, he wants us to set our minds towards that. He wants that to be our goal, whatever he's about to talk about. And then he says, have this mind among yourselves. Paul is writing to a church, a community of believers. And he wants them to have a certain DNA about them. This mind that they need to be seeking needs to be among them as a whole. Now, there are certain groups of people that if you go among them, you know what to expect from them, right? There's a certain DNA about certain groups of people who roll together and have a common purpose, right? For instance, don't ask me why I came up with this crazy example, but I think it, it helps us understand. The KKK, right? They have a common interest, right? The KKK. There's a, some groups are marked for certain things, and they do, and among them, they're unified in their hatred, right? Their hatred of people. They're unified in that. Now, if it was a couple people within the KKK going back and rebuilding the houses they burnt down and apologizing to cats, <laughs> leaving them snacks and stuff, like, it's going to be some issues. It's, it's not really going to help the movement, right? It's kind of working against it. So there's a need for unity, right? Otherwise, there's issues with the movement. So if somebody's contrary to the DNA, the mind that's among them, it's issues, right? And if I was to go among the KKK, I wouldn't know what to expect. I wouldn't expect to be embraced lovingly. I wouldn't expect them to offer me stuff. I would expect them to hate me. And I wouldn't be surprised, like, oh, I can't believe you treated me like this. I thought you were such a loving bunch. I wouldn't know what to expect because that's the DNA of the KKK. The DNA that Paul wants to be among us is this humility. When people come among Epiphany Fellowship, when people, he was right to the Philippian church, when people become among any churches, this is what he wants to be the common DNA amongst us, humility. We want people, when they come among us, to expect to see humility. We don't want people to be surprised when we're considering others more important than ourselves. We don't want people to be surprised when we're laying our lives down for others. And we don't want people to expect the wrong stuff. People have come to expect crazy things from the church. And it's not humility. We want to be a church that is marked by the proper DNA. And we're learning humility from Jesus here. Now, there are some things that people may have even come to expect from being around Epiphany Fellowship. Because... A lot of us, we know some stuff. So humility isn't really our disposition. We don't want people who come among us to be expecting to see something other than humility. We want people to expect to see some puffed up cats who are looking down, thinking that we got it all together. So when people come around that don't, we're prideful. That's not the common DNA that needs to be running through Epiphany Fellowship. Humility is the common DNA that needs to be running through Epiphany Fellowship. We mustn't be puffed up with the knowledge, but be humble like Jesus. And then he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Or the New American Standard says, which was also in Christ Jesus. Here Paul's beginning to show us that Jesus is our model for this humility. So as Christians, we've turned from our sin and we've trusted Jesus. And if we're true converts, when we turn from our sin, there was a recognition of the fact that we are messed up and we're in need of somebody else to do it for us, right? Every time in the scriptures you see cats recognizing they're unworthy when they stand before Jesus. There was a time when we recognized we couldn't do it on our own. And we trusted Jesus not only as Savior but as our Lord. And trusting him as our Lord, we want to be more like him. He's the model we want to follow in every way. 
when we turned from sin, we trusted Jesus to be our God instead of our own hearts. So like the little kids who are going to be growing up, watching their parents, looking at them closely, trying to mimic them, we want to do the same with the Lord Jesus. And enable, to be able to function properly as a church with this proper DNA, we're looking at Jesus as a means of becoming humble. We want to be in close proximity with him. And as Paul continues, we'll have the opportunity to look at Jesus. Hopefully we'll be able to watch and imitate the humility of Jesus Christ to the glory of God. Not to us thinking we're special, but to the glory of God. Point number two is this. In verses six and seven, Jesus made himself nothing. Jesus made himself nothing. Now this passage has been a passage that's controversial. This has just been debated about a lot because there's some difficult things in it. And we're not going to be able to look at every little issue, but hopefully briefly enough we'll be able to just kind of look over the issues and figure out what he's saying for our purposes this morning. Verse 6, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. So here Paul says that Jesus is in the form of God. The obvious question is, what in the world does that mean, Paul? What does it mean that Jesus was in the form of God? Does this mean that Jesus was just kind of like God? Or that Jesus showed up kind of similar to God? Or he looked like God, though God didn't have a body? How was he in the form of God? What is he talking about? I don't think that he means Jesus kind of looks like God. The word here used for form is morphe. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right because I speak English, not Greek. But I read that mug, and that's what it said. <laughs> this word morphe can have several different meanings. Some of it, one of the meanings is like essential nature. One of them is the different forms that somebody shows up in. But because there's so many different meanings, you have to look at the context of the passage to figure out what it actually means, right? Y'all with me? Don't let me be up here mumbling and stuff. So I think from the context, we can see that by form of God, he, def he basically means being equal with God. The way that he sets up the passage, it's essentially just equivalent form of God and being equal with God. Because he says, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So when he's talking about the form of God, he's talking about Jesus being equal to God. He makes them almost synonymous. synonymous. So I think that's what's meant by form here. And it doesn't specify exactly what he means when he talks about Jesus' equality with God. So we're just going to talk about some of the ways that Jesus is equal with the Father. Take a second to think about the Lord Jesus. Jesus was the most incredible man that ever walked this earth. Jesus the Christ, he's the, he's the dude that we gather in the name of every single week, jumping around with our hands raised. The Lord Jesus. Jesus never had a birth date. Jesus just always was. John 1 says he was in the beginning, right? He was God and he was with God. This is Jesus. We see that in John 1. He's the creator of the world. See that in Colossians 1.16. Nothing came into being that didn't come through him. Nothing has life that doesn't have life in him. This is the Lord Jesus. This complex world that we live in, Jesus laced that together. Our complex bodies, Jesus laced that together. All of this stuff was made by Jesus. Jesus is the creator. Jesus is sovereign. 
Jesus is the ruler. He is the king. There's nobody who reigns over the Lord Jesus. He reigns supreme. He's sovereign and he does what he pleases. This is the Lord Jesus. Jesus is all-powerful. Jesus is all-knowing. Jesus is omnipresent. This is the Jesus Christ of the scriptures. Jesus is absolute perfection. Jesus is so perfect that he's unchanging because if he changed, he would either have to get worse, which he would cease to be perfect and he would cease to be God, or he would have to get better, which would insist that he wasn't already perfect because he's as perfect as perfect can get. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's Jesus. Jesus has never lied. Jesus never made a mistake. Jesus never had a oops. Jesus is God. Jesus is equal with God. And to deny that is one, heresy. But also to deny that we're going to miss the whole point of this passage. Because in order for us to see the depth of his humility, we have to see the depth of his superiority. In order for us to understand how low he condescended, we have to understand where he was at. This is the Lord Jesus Christ, eternal son of God. What an incredible thing he's done. Then he says, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Another difficult phrase in the passage. Now, does that mean when Jesus became a man, he stopped being God? Did he stop being equal with him? He doesn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Did he shed his divine nature? We affirm the truths that we find in the scripture. And when Jesus became a man, he didn't stop being God. It's important for us to understand that, that Jesus was still God at the incarnation. So what Paul is saying here is, oh, that though Jesus is eternally God and is equal with the Father in all respects, he did not consider his equality as something to be exploited, right? He didn't consider his equality with God something to take advantage of in the full sense. Though Jesus rightfully is equal with God, though Jesus rightfully has all the privileges that God has, Jesus didn't consider those something to be grasped and used. Yesterday I watched uh, a movie, Air Force One. Anybody seen that? I think that's what it's called. It was just on. I've never seen it before. With Harrison Ford, he's the president, right? So in this movie, some hijackers come and they hijack Air Force One. Him and his family own it. They got a bunch of hostages, right? And this is the president of the United States that's on this Air Force One, right? Now, this is the president. There are some people who are assigned to him. Like Their job description is die instead of him. Like, they serious about protecting the president of the United States. In the movie, it was a crazy dramatic scene where somebody was shooting at him. He was like, no. And took the bullet for him. Like, they serious about protecting the president of the United States. So there was one part that was um, very unrealistic, but I'm just going to leave that out. Where there was this time when they could lower the plane and some cats was jumping off in parachutes. They said, president, go. And he was like, no, go first. Go, was letting other people go first. And he said, nah. I want to stay with my family. I'm not rolling out my family. Like, President, please come with us. He said, I want to stay with my family. They end up capturing him again. He lost his chance. Then there's another chance at the end of the movie where it's two planes and a zip line from one to the other. <laughs> Didn't write the movie. But he's letting everybody go before him. They say, President, go. He says, no, go before me. He wants everybody to go before him. Now, when you watch that, it just yanks at your heart like, that is such a great guy. But why does it do that? Because he's the president of the United States. 
These are rights and privileges that he's rightfully earned, but he's denying them for the sake of others. Right? This isn't just something that they randomly gave him. No, he's earned it. He's been elected by the people. He's a symbol of freedom. He's all of these things, but he's putting others before himself. It doesn't make him less the president. He just didn't exploit the rights and privileges that he's rightfully earned. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what he's done. Jesus doesn't stop being equal with God, but he surrendered some of the rights and privileges that he has. This is what it means to say he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Matthew 16, verse 21. Concern if you like. Throughout the Gospels, we see the disciples kind of missing it sometimes, right? They don't really get it all the time. Like, you read that book, 12 Ordinary Men. These cats was ordinary indeed. <laughs> Matthew 16, 21. Praise the Lord for the Spirit. He says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside. This dude lost his mind. Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Verse 23, but he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man. His rebuke of Peter is so revealing because Peter just don't get it yet. Peter doesn't understand how Jesus, this is after Peter's made an incredible proclamation of him, the son of the living God. He doesn't understand how the son of the living God, who he's just understood him to be, is the same God that's going to die at the hand of men. Peter doesn't understand it. He doesn't understand that Jesus did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, and he's submitting himself to these very things. This is the Lord Jesus. And we can really learn from Jesus here. Because one of our biggest problems when it comes to humility is us feeling like we're entitled to something. Right? That's one of our biggest problems when, in actuality, we're not really entitled to anything. That, that's the first thing we need to understand. We're not entitled to anything. The only thing we've earned ourselves is eternal torment. Right? That's what we've earned ourselves. Praise the Lord for Jesus who made a way. But here's Jesus who's entitled to all things, and he's denying his rights and privileges. So what does it say about us who really aren't entitled to anything, even the things we've earned we're not entitled to, who won't deny those things? When was the last time you denied your privileges for the service of somebody else? Forget privileges. When was the last time you denied things you'd rightfully earned for the sake of somebody else, to serve somebody? When was the last time you did that? When was the last time I did that? We must examine ourselves and learn from Jesus here. When was the last time you gave your money that you earned or your time that you kept free from something? Jesus surrendered his privileges. Didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, verse 7, but made himself nothing. This is probably the part of the passage that's received the most controversy. Literally, it means he emptied himself. That's what it says in the New American Standard, which raises the question in the minds of so many, what did he empty himself of? You hear about this kenosis theory, where people have this theory that Jesus emptied himself of his divine attributes. A lot of controversy over this. 
So what does it mean? What did he empty himself of? I don't really think that's even a necessary question in the text. What did he empty himself of? That's not what this text is talking about. And it's not talking about him literally emptying himself of something. What the phrase means is used other way in the scriptures by Paul. It means to nullify something and to make it of no account. So it means to empty himself. So even though he's equal with God, he made himself nothing. He condescended lower than we can imagine. This is the Lord Jesus. He emptied himself. And then it talks about what he did emptying himself, taking the form of a servant. The word here for servant is doulas. I don't think Paul knew Mac either. I don't think he was talking about him. Doulas. It literally means slave. Translated servant sometimes, translated bond servant. It literally means slave. So you mean to tell me that Jesus, the eternal son of God, the ruler who rules over everything, the king of kings, the lord of lords, the master became a slave. He came in the form of a slave. In the culture, in the Greco-Roman culture that Paul is writing to, slaves were those who were denied of every basic human right. So when he says Jesus came as a slave, Jesus is denying himself of every basic human right, basically. Look at the life of Jesus from beginning to end, rejected. This isn't a surprise to Jesus from beginning to end, rejected at the beginning. Can't even find room. He's born in a dirty manger, right? And then he gathers up these disciples, and they bounce on him when it gets a little rough. As soon as the Pharisees hear his teaching, they're like, who's this new dude teaching with authority? Let's kill him. <laughs> and they're chasing him the whole time. Send him to the cross. He's deserted and treated terribly the whole time. Jesus denies all the basic human rights and privileges. Mark 10.45 says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the master posturing himself as a slave, came to serve. Too often, we posture ourselves, instead of servants, we posture ourselves like kings and queens. We want everything to be catered to us. We want people to serve us. This is how we posture ourselves naturally. But Jesus, the eternal son of God, who is the master, came and he postured himself as a slave. He postured himself as a slave. We can learn from Jesus. Jesus, who actually is the king, postured himself like a slave. We have to correct ourselves and our postures. Posture yourself as a servant. Look for opportunities to serve others instead of looking for opportunities to get served. When was the last time you just looked for an opportunity to serve somebody? This is what we have to do. Jesus taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Jesus comes as a man, and he identifies with our humanity. So, of course, the question arises, how human was Jesus? This is a debate all throughout church history. Most of the major councils dealt with this stuff in depth. You have these controversies that say, was Jesus really equal with God? You have controversies that say, was Jesus really fully man? How many natures did he have? Did he have a divine nature and a human nature? How many wills did he have? Did he have a human will and a divine will? Questions that circulate all the time. What's important for us to know is that Jesus was a full 
man. Jesus came in the likeness of men. He was a full man apart from our sinful nature. This is what separates Jesus from us. Jesus was a full man. Jesus took on human emotions. Jesus took on a human will. Jesus took on, he limited himself like we are. This is Jesus who created us and he became like us with some pitiful, limited creatures. Jesus created us and he came and became one of us. Like when Jesus looks down on us, it's like us looking down on an ant. Like, it's so cute. I mean, I could just smash you right now, but come on. But Jesus, even though he looks down, he looks down and sees us in that way. He became like one of us. And he didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. So he could serve us. Jesus Christ served us. What incredible humility from the Lord Jesus. What we see here about Jesus and his humility is humility isn't just a disposition. Humility isn't merely a disposition. Humility manifests itself in selfless acts. If you're wondering if you're humble, look at your actions. Are you being selfless? They're connected because if, you, if you're only concerned with yourself, that's called pride, then you're not going to be selfless. You'll be selfish. I know I'm a master of rhetoric. <laughs> selfless, selfish. You never thought about that? If we consider ourselves most important, we'll never sacrifice anything. One of the problems with us being humble is we just take ourselves too seriously. Right? Somebody offends us. Somebody talks down on us. We take ourselves so seriously, we're willing to lose our mind over that. We just take ourselves way too seriously. Right? We're so worried about our image, worried about how people view us. We need to learn from the Lord Jesus. He put others before himself take ourselves too seriously and if we for a second think there's too much for us to humble ourselves from once again consider Jesus because no matter how much you humble yourself and how low you go Jesus went lower and even if you were somehow somehow changed something and was able to get as low as him he came down from a lot higher than you are you can never humble yourself like the Lord Jesus let's learn from Jesus we too must consider ourselves nothing, consider our own comforts and preferences after considering those of others. You ever had somebody ask you a favor, like call you or something? Hello, can I get a ride? Shoot. <laughs> Hold on real quick. Dang, this dude always calling me, asking me for stuff. <sighs> sure, man, I'd be glad to serve you. <laughs> Where are you? not humility like these are issues of humility we're considering ourselves more important than other people let us look for opportunities to serve people because it ain't all about us and our comforts and our preferences and our privileges it's about serving others let's look at this humility we see in Jesus making himself nothing let's learn from him to the glory of God so our first point was that Jesus is our model for humility. Point number two, Jesus made himself nothing. Point number three, Jesus' humility results in obedience. Verse eight, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. 
Once again, humility is not just a disposition. Humility manifests itself in acts of obedience. Once again, for those of us who've trusted Jesus, there was a time when we recognized that we couldn't do it on our own and we needed somebody else. So if we're remaining humble, then obedience is what follows because we recognize the Father is the one who directs us. Humility manifests itself in obedience. You want to if you're humble, look at how obedient you are. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you know better. Now, we would never say, I know better. But it's what we've said in our hearts when we disobey God. Humility manifests itself in obedience. Obedient to the point of death is what it says. Becoming obedient to the point of death. John eight twenty nine. It says, and he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Every time I read that passage, I am blown away. Jesus always does what's pleasing to the Father. So Jesus, who's the creator of life, was humble enough to obey and become a man. He was humble enough to obey his parents, you know, the parents that have life in him. Sha says, obeyed his parents even though he created their windpipes. He was humble enough to work as a carpenter like a normal man. He was humble enough to be rejected among the people. The people he came to save rejected him in an incredible way. He was humble enough to give himself over to the authorities. But his humility went further than we could imagine. He, the giver of life, submitting himself to the point of death. He wasn't just kind of humble. He submitted himself to the point of death. Jesus. The Son of God died. I don't think we got to catch that. Is that not backwards? That the creator of life came and died? The men he let snatch him up, a men that he created? Like, I'm showing your muscles. I made them biceps, dog. He could have easily smashed them. Jesus submits himself to the point of death, and not just death, death on a cross. Death on a cross was the most shameful way to die, period, in this culture. Matter of fact, most of the time, Roman citizens wouldn't even be crucified unless they were the lower class or, of course, slaves. When Jesus came in the form of a slave, he really came in the form of a slave. He submitted himself to all of these things and died on a cross. The most cruel way to die, too. Suffered, was beaten, suffered on a cross for hours, suffocating, and died on our behalf. The Son of God died on our behalf. It was such a shameful way to die that early on, some so-called Christians denied that he even died on the cross because it was just that shameful to people. Like, how could you say that your God and your Savior died on a cross? That doesn't sound like a God I want to serve. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's why Paul called the gospel a stumbling block, the cross. So once again, learning from Jesus, how far is your obedience going? Right? Jesus obeyed at all these different levels and obeyed to the point of death. Where does your obedience stop? 
Are you willing to obey to the point of utter humiliation? Are you willing to obey and to share the gospel with people that you know are going to reject you? Are you willing to obey to that point? Are you willing to obey and proclaim the gospel to the people that are hostile towards you, to put your own life in danger? Are you willing to obey and deny all of your rights? What is your obedience style? Jesus was obedient to the point of death. He's the model. This is Jesus. Our final point is that Jesus' humility results in exaltation. Verses 9 to 11. It says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Once again, what does it mean for Jesus to be exalted? It may seem kind of strange because Paul has already told us that he's equal with the Father. Can he even be exalted any further? It's not the Lord exalting him in that sense because Paul showed us that. I think what this points to is the recognition of him. I think it's best understood of G that he exalted Jesus to a position of recognizable superiority over all of creation. recognizable superiority over all of creation, the Lord Jesus. His resurrection and his ascension make his status more fully evident to the creation over which he rules, right? He comes and makes himself like us, lives as we do, and he dies, and the Lord raises him up again. Recognizable superiority. Jesus is exalted as a result of his humility. He's given the name that's above every name. Everyone will bow and confess in submission to the Lord Jesus. There is nobody, none of his enemies, nobody who won't bow and confess the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He rules. This is Jesus. See what it says? In heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess Jesus is Lord. So how does this, what does this mean for us? Does the model stop for us after that? Jesus being exalted? Obviously, we won't be exalted like Jesus was, but I, I think there's still something for us to learn here. Because these are kingdom principles, right, that we see in the scriptures. He who humbles himself will be exalted, right? This is just the way that God does things. So for the believer, those of us who are faithful by the grace of God, in the end, will be exalted. Those of us who run the race by the grace of God in the end will be glorified and made like Jesus. For those of us who are faithful by the grace of God, we're not earning glory, we're not earning salvation, but for those of us who the grace of the Lord has worked in such a way that we run this race and we persevere to the end, we have something incredible awaiting us. We saw that in First Peter. This hope that we're waiting on, this future glory, Faithfulness is rewarded by God. Though we are rewarded, though, don't get it twisted. It's by his grace from beginning to end. 
by his grace from beginning to end. And it's to his glory. So we're talking about humility in Jesus. I just want to talk real quick to finish just three principles for trying to remain humble. But you know, we always got good intentions for stuff. And go home like, I just want to be humble. You know what I'm saying? Wednesday, same ways back. Can you pick me up? <laughs> Shoot. You ain't learned nothing. All right, three principles for remaining humble. Number one, look at God often. Look at God often. This is because humility isn't just about trying to be lowly. Humility is about seeing God in his proper place and seeing yourself in light of him. Our natural inclination is pride because we think we're somebody special. But the more and more we gaze upon the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're humbled. You see what happens when Jesus, when people run into Jesus, right? And they see him, woe is me. Isaiah 6, Isaiah sees the Lord, woe is me. I'm a man with unclean lips. Keep looking at God. Keep you humble if you're seeing him properly. And the more and more we stay away from the scriptures, because our natural inclination is pride, pride builds up. You got to stay looking at God in the scriptures. And if you're reading the scriptures and getting puffed up instead of humble, you're reading the scriptures wrong. You go to the scriptures to look at God. Point number two, stay around folks that keep you in your place. Somebody asked me yesterday, like, Triple E, how do you stay humble? I was like, well, if I answer that, like, I stay humble by it, and I'm nullifying myself. But I said one of the ways that I attempt to try to stay humble is I don't just be going around everywhere rapping around people who think I'm somewhere, somebody special. I live my life among people who don't think I'm nobody. And if for a second I start tripping and think I'm somebody, there's plenty of people in my life to be like, That's important for us <laughs> to live our life around a community that keeps us in our proper place. Number three, you know, people like to stay around people who exalt them all the time. Like they like to be in the circles where they the beast. Like, nah, I can't, I can't hang out tonight. I'm going to that uh, New Believers Bible study. What's up, baby? It's me. It's me. I can help you with that passage, dog. I've been studying that. Heard Pastor Mays preach about it, trying to repeat it. <laughs> Point number three, last principle, is to pray for this grace of humility. Humility is not something we can just work in ourselves. Just because you open the Bible and look at the scriptures, it's not an automatic type joint. This is grace. It's by the grace of God. The Holy Spirit works this humility in us. So we have to pray for this grace. It's not automatic. We're so sinful and we need the spirit to break us and humble us. It's not of us. It is of God. Humility is of God. So my prayer is that we would put all of these principles into practice as a means for being like Jesus, remaining humble like Jesus. Now sometimes I have like these humility battles with gets. Like, we playing around. Like, me and Kurt do this all the time. I'd be like, Kurt, man, you so humble, dog. You remind me of a young me. 
But what's foolish about that? That if I'm saying I'm humble, I'm automatically not humble, right? But let's marvel at the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you, do you see what God does in the Bible? He points to himself as an example of humility. And this is because humility isn't about just being lowly. Humility is about seeing yourself in the proper spot. And, and God is to be exalted and praised. Right? So as God points to himself as a, as a means of understanding humility, he's not ceasing to be humble. He is being humble as he condescends to people like us and shows us what humility looks like. God's the only one that can do that. The Lord Jesus is in a league of his own. So my prayer is that with this passage, we'll understand the humility of Jesus, see him as our model for humility, recognize that he emptied himself and became nothing, recognize he was obedient to the point of death, and then did an exaltation, the last word of the passage, to the glory of God the Father. This is why we do this. When you're humbled, you persevere to the end, and you're glorified. It's to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, we're really grateful for your word. And we indeed recognize our inability to obey it. I pray, Father, if there's anybody in this room right now who doesn't know the Lord Jesus, that they wouldn't take this as a time when they just need.